a new series today um, on the Lord's Prayer. Hey, did you like the opening video? Isn't it awesome? I love that. Great. Yeah, we might need to do that, hey. <laughs> anyway, I've got to get this out of the way. I've got my box of tissues, just in case I need them. I'm going to... Um, today's message is dedicated to my dad. <sighs> Off to a great start, aren't I? <laughs> no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. He went home to glory four years ago today. And I'd kind of forgotten that. Um, not that I forgot he went home to glory, <laughs> but I'd forgotten it was this day. And how long ago, Sue was it that we planned, um, you know, this out, that got, the, months ago, was it last year sometime, we're saying, yeah, I really want to do this series. So what did I choose to preach on, on this day, is on the Father's love. Who would do that to themselves? Who would preach on a father's love on the anniversary that their father went home to glory? So I've got my tissues just in case I need them. But, um, but I am I'd like to dedicate this to Dad because I was just remembering um, a, a sermon that he preached. So, you know, praise God for godly fathers, hey? And, uh, and I, I was remembering, uh, I don't know, do you remember it, Mummy, Dad? Oh, which sermon, right? He preached a sermon on taters, and I'm going to have to try and do it sometime. And, um, and he had this board with big nails on it. It had all these potatoes, right? This is not today's sermon, but I've just got to share it with you. And I remember he got mum to make all these outfits. You remember it now, right? Mum had to make outfits for potatoes, right? Because he had commentator and spectator and dictator. And, and I don't know, which other taters? He had a whole, which other taters did he have? Come on, it was only 40 years ago. Commentator, spectator, dictator, agitator. Yeah, anyway, and it was, I just remember. I remember, sorry? Allocator, that's a good, no, it's not cater, it's not tater. Nice try, nice try. Ten points for try. Anyway, and, I, I, and it just made me realise, like I don't even remember what the sermon was about, but I do remember. Remember those potatoes all dressed up, mum had these little dresses and trousers and all sorts. Anyway, that was really cool. So I'm uh, praising God for a wonderful godly dad. Anyway, so the Lord's Prayer. Um, and so I, just, I have found these wonderful quotes on the subject of prayer. I love that. Get that image in your head. I love that image, don't you? See, see you? See you and your problems there? And then you see God? Need some help with that, son? <laughs> I love it. Oh, my problems are so big. And God's going on a hand with that. I love that image. Anyway, so there's a couple of quotes I'd like to bring to your attention. But before we do that, I think I should pray. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for your word and that your word is powerful and alive. And so, Father, I pray that you will speak through me this morning to re and reveal to each and every one of our hearts what it is that you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, help us to receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Abraham Lincoln said this, I have been driven upon my knees many times by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom, this is Abraham Lincoln, right? My own wisdom seemed insufficient for that day. Isn't that beautiful? Conrad Hilton, 
who's the founder of Hilton Hotels, writes in the circle, this is in the closing chapters of, um, of his book, he wrote, in the circle of successful living, prayer is the hub that holds the wheel together. And Benjamin Franklin, you've heard of him, says, work as if you were to live 100 years. Pray as if you were to die tomorrow. I think that's really powerful. And I know we've heard variations on that before. But I wonder if I knew that I was going home to glory tomorrow, what my prayer life would be like today. I know when we had um, a car accident years ago, but... um, Man, that was a scary one. And, and the car just spun out of control on a, on a wet road, you know, and it, it just spun completely out of control. And Dan tried to correct it, but it was, became really apparent that he was, wasn't going to. And his car was completely out of control. And, uh, and, and I honestly thought, this is it. Like, we're going, I can tell you, I crammed in some prayer right there and then. You know, so now, quick, okay, let's cover us all. Let's, uh, you know, confess all our sins. Let's repent. Let's ask for forgiveness. Let's make sure we're right with God because, you know, what, I really, you know, because so when you know, you know, the, yeah, you really manage, your prayer life changes. Anyway, and then, and then the car came to a stop, went smash into this embankment which stopped us. And I thought, oh, thank goodness. And then the car tipped and rolled. So first of all, it was spinning out of control and then we started rolling. I thought, oh, this is it. Anyway, that's amazing. Uh, actually, really quickly, I was actually, we're on our way, I was on my way to preach at Bible College on the power of prayer. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, and uh, so I kind of got to have a little bit of a practical <laughs> on, the, on the way. Um, we were fine. We, uh, this is, I've got to finish the story now. The car was such a crumpled mess. And I rem- and yeah, when everything goes like slow motion. And I remembered seeing these people, seriously, like slow motion, running up, you know, bits of the car are flying off all over the place. And, and um, anyway, Dan, anyway, we got out of the car. I'll give you all the details over morning tea if you want. We get out of the car and we're standing next to the car. Meanwhile, these people have arrived. And they said, where are the people in the car? We've got to get the people out of the car. And we're standing there going, we're here. No, no, no. They must. I said, no, no, we're here. And they're looking at us, and we weren't even crumpled. Like, it was just amazing. And there's the three of us, Dan and Ashley and myself, all standing there. Dan had a little scratch on his little finger there. And, and, and we're just standing there. And, and then they're looking at the car, and they're looking at us. And they're looking at the car, and they're looking, and it's kind of, it was bizarre. It's like, like you know, the fiery furnace. And, you know, well, how come you don't smell the smoke, right? Anyway, but I couldn't see because my glasses were behind. My glasses were in the car. So, and Dan had his walking stick because his knee was really bad back then. Anyway, so we managed to jam the door open and the windows were like squished down to this. And I looked in and inside the car, there was my Bible just sitting there with my glasses neatly on top of it. It was just bizarre. We hooked those out because I needed them because I was preaching at the Bible college, you know. But I looked in the car at the tiny little space that was in there and I thought to myself, how did we fit? How, yeah, the three of us did. I'm telling you, because I remember sitting upside down with my seatbelt on, right, because we were upside down, and having to reach up, you know, to the ceiling. To, Dan said, you know, brace yourself, Mum, I'll undo your seatbelt and then, so I wouldn't fall down. So we had that much space when we were in there, but when I looked into this tiny crumpled space in the car, I'm wondering, where were we? How did we fit in there? It was amazing, amazing. 
Anyway, sorry. Yeah, so if you were going to die tomorrow, how your prayer life would change. That was all about how, wow, we were praying hard. Back to prayer. Canadian psychologist David Benner describes prayer as the soul's native language. Because we were made to be in relationship with God. Adam and Eve walked with him in the garden. That's, we were, so, so it's our native language to pray, right? There's this fantastic book um, entitled How to Pray by Pete Grieg. And, uh, and he writes, The disciples became mighty prayer warriors, but it wasn't automatic. It wasn't a guaranteed perk of the apostolic job. Prayer had to be learned the hard way. And their schooling was to begin on a particular day with this simple, touching, vulnerable request. Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus goes on to do just that. And I'm just going to pop that down there for a minute. And as we know, this is recorded in both Luke and Matthew. And we're very familiar with it. But I'm going to read it from Matthew's translation, the New King James Version. In this manner... Therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And you know, in its original language, it rhymed. I was sharing this with the worship team earlier. It rhymed. In the original ancient Aramaic that Jesus spoke, it rhymed. So Jesus wrote a poem to teach us how to pray. I think that was really beautiful. So I actually did um, YouTube it, okay, you know, the Lord's Prayer in ancient Aramaic, so I could hear it rhyming. Um, yeah, it's just really cool. Anyhow, but those first two lines, our Father who art in heaven, don't they just cause us to pause? I, I don't know about you, but as soon as I, I just address him, as soon as I say Father, like I'm with him. It's like I've, because he's with us always, we know that. So it's not like he arrives when I call him, right? He's always there. But the minute I go, our Father, I, I step into his presence. It causes you to pause. And so pray, in Peter Grieg's book, he, he puts pray as an acronym. I always get, no, what is it when you, you have, what's one of those things? Is that an acronym? Good. I always get that one and the other one mixed up. Yeah, that's it. Anyway, okay, so acronym. I knew I should have written it down. So pray. So we've got pause. Press the magic button. There we go. Oh, it didn't, it didn't work? I wrote pray. I, I did my things wrong. Anyway, it's pause. Pause. I did that wrong. Rejoice. Ask and yield. Our Father who art in heaven, pause. Hallowed be thy name. Rejoicing. And then we go on to, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's actually yielding to his will. And then we ask for forgiveness and for provision and for, you know, it's, it's, it's this pause. I made a mistake, sorry. Pause, rejoice, ask and yield. And if you're teaching it to children, just teach them yes. Pause, rejoice, ask and say yes 
to God's will is much easier than, than explaining to them what yield means. So he writes, the best way to start praying, therefore, is to actually stop praying, to be still, to stop talking at God long enough to focus on the wonder of who he actually is. So when they said, Jesus, teach us to pray, you've got to remember he didn't say, okay, repeat after me, right? He didn't. Although there is power in saying the Lord's Prayer together, because it's like a family, a corporate prayer in that sense, because our Father, give us this day, lead us not into temptation. Yeah? So, so there is power in that because it's the Word of God. So I don't want to diminish it because it's the Word of God and the Word of God is powerful and the enemy must obey the Word of God. That's exactly how Jesus overcame Satan in the wilderness when he was tempting Jesus. It is written, it is written, it is written. He quoted the Word of God. So to to recite the Lord's Prayer is powerful, but that wasn't its purpose. It was a model prayer. Jesus said, in this manner, pray like this. He didn't say, repeat after me or learn this, right? So we're going to spend the next few weeks actually really delving down into each of the aspects of the prayer. So today, he starts with our Father, who art in heaven, right? Or we say, our heavenly Father, right? But, but he says, ours. And, and considering that the disciples had just said to him, teach us to pray, I imagine Jesus, you know, probably sitting around a little circle with them, you know, they're probably around a fire or, or something, you know, and they're sitting together and he says, our Father. And, and he chose that word, our. He didn't say, well, I pray to my Father, but you need to address him like this. No, he taught, he said, Pray to your dad. Pray, Father. Your Father, my Father, our Father. Because I, I just really want us to get that because he didn't say, I, you know, as I said before, I'm going to repeat it again because it's important. He didn't say, well, I pray to my Father, but you need to address him like this. He didn't say that. He said, Talk, he's your dad. Call him Father, right? He invites us to call God our Father. And as we know, Abba, the word Abba, because we're here in the Bible of Abba, Father, in Aramaic, which was Jesus' native language, right? Um, Abba means Father, right? But the word Abba is never alone in Scripture. Now, a couple of examples. Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption. We'll get to that in a minute. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. See, there they are together. Again in Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And then in Mark 14, 36, when Jesus was in the garden, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me, nevertheless, not I will, but what you will. So together, the terms Abba, Father, doubly emphasise the fatherhood of God. You know, in the Bible, if they want to really emphasise something, they repeat it. So when you see something repeated in the Bible, it's like us underlying it and putting an exclamation mark. And every time he refers Abba, Father, every time he is repeating in two different languages reinforcing and ensuring us 
that we are God's loved children and he is our father. Romans 8, 16 to 17. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Have you noticed how many times he's repeating these things? He wants us to get this. And if indeed, um, sorry, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So then, if we are to pray to God as our Father in heaven, our heavenly Father, and we are his children, then what is our heavenly Father like? Right? If we're praying to him as Father, it would be good to know how he sees himself in his role as our Father. Because God knows there are no perfect fathers for us to model this on. Right? Hands up if there are any perfect fathers here. Yeah, I was going to say, if your hand goes up, we need to talk. But seriously, even the fathers of our faith, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, were not perfect fathers. Right? So, so Jesus is teaching them to pray our father, but he needs to make sure they've actually got the right concept of what a father is. Because let's face it, Abraham didn't trust God to solve his problems and thought he'd have to take matters into his own hand and really mess things up. Right? Isaac... Um, made it very, very clear that he preferred one son over the other. It's actually written in the Bible that Isaac preferred Esau and Rebekah preferred Jacob. Like, how about having that written down for eternity, that you actually preferred one son over the other? And then Jacob was sneaky and tricked his brother into giving away his birthright. These are our fa the fathers of our faith, right? And then when he became a father, he also clearly preferred one son over all the others, Joseph. Right? It's just, so if we're to pray our father and we're basing our image of fatherhood on these guys, does God show favoritism? Is God sneaky and underhanded? No. So Jesus had to um, teach us what our father is really like. And we could say, oh, if only he did that. Well, he did, right? He told a parable specifically for the purpose of showing us exactly what our Heavenly Father is like. And once again, it's a familiar passage, but I would like you to listen to this from the perspective of the Father, because this is about the Father heart of God. Jesus is teaching us what God's heart toward us is. So we've got um, Luke 15, verses 11 onwards parable of the lost son. Then, a, then he said, a certain man had two sons, bearing in mind that the certain man is God. God's talking about God. Right? And Jesus is talking about God. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he, so he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions on prodigal or wild living. But when he'd spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. 
and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. Like he couldn't even get pig food to eat. How hungry would he have been? But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Basically, he's asking his dad to employ him, right? And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let's eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive but he was lost and now is found and they began to be merry. Now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that, might, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. So I wonder if... I could be allowed the luxury of paraphrasing this story from the father's perspective. So this is the parable of the lost son paraphrased. Father speaking. Just imagine he's talking to you, I've got some wonderful sons and I love them dearly. But one day my younger son asked for his inheritance and nicked off. He left the family, disowned me completely and lived a sinful and foolish life. It broke my heart to be so distant from him. After all, he's my boy. But he didn't want me anymore. He just wanted what I could give him. Then there was a severe famine and I was really worried about him because I knew that he'd wasted all of his money and now he'd be hungry. One day I was watching the horizon for the slightest glimpse of him, as I often did. Actually, my eyes were never really off that horizon. In everything I was doing, I'd be watching hoping, waiting, and then <laughs> I saw him in the distance. I dropped everything and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Oh, he stunk like a pig pen, but I didn't care. I was so happy that he'd come back home to me. He started to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But I cut him off, and I called the servants and said, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for my son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found, and we had the biggest party. But when my other son heard the music and dancing 
and heard the good news, he was angry at his brother and he was pretty angry at me and he wouldn't come in. I pleaded with him and said, all these years, sorry, I pleaded with him and he said, all these years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Well, I'm not so sure about that, but I let him go on. And yet you never gave me anything. But as soon as this son of yours, didn't even call him his brother, has come who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. So I assured him, son, don't you know how much I love you? You are always with me and all that I have is yours. All you need to do is ask. See, according to this parable that Jesus spoke, this is the heart of our Heavenly Father. He loves us even when we turn our back on him and disown him. He looks out for us even when we are far away from him. He accepts us back into the family no matter what we've done to disgrace him. He forgives us immediately. He loves us unconditionally and he restores us fully back into his family without the need for penance. We put those in. We we say, oh, you're going to have to serve some time, right? That's not what the father in this parable did. We don't sin bin or we sin bin, God doesn't sin bin or put us on the bench for a while until we earn our, our way back into the family. And he totally loves us in spite of our self-righteous, stinking attitudes. Older brother still loves us, right? But I wonder when we pray, when we come to God in prayer, if we really believe that about his feeling toward us. Do we really, really believe that God loves us that much or do we just read about it for the third person? Now, when we read something in the Bible, to ensure that we don't take it out of context, we always need to ask, is that confirmed elsewhere in the Bible? Because otherwise we can take a passage and twist it from our own worldview, right? So we always have to ask, is that confirmed elsewhere in the Bible? And is it in line with the overall teaching of the Bible? So let's have a look. Romans 5.8 in the Passion Translation. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us. I'm going to say it again. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place. When? While we were still lost and ungodly. You would probably know it better as whilst we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we're still lost and ungodly, Christ proved God's passionate love for us. Luke 23, 32 onwards, about Jesus' crucifixion. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to that place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Now, I know these are all familiar passages, but we need to get a revelation. God is, uh, sorry, Jesus, who is God? But Jesus is praying to God to forgive these people who just tortured him, whipped him, beat him, spat on him, mocked him, ridiculed him, and now they're killing him. 
stringing him up, right? And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, this is the love that he has. And then, so that was just an aside in that story because then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God? You've got to remember, he's hanging up like this when he's saying this, right? So, and, and finding it difficult to breathe and, and all that. Do not, right? Anyway. Um, seeing you are under the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, in other words, we deserve to be here, but he doesn't, right? For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise, forgiven immediately, immediately and fully and completely. Romans 8, 38 to 39. So what we're seeing here, does the Bible back up this, all these claims that I just made that he loves us? When we turn our back on him and disown him, he looks out for us. When we're far from him, he accepts us back into his family. He forgives us completely, loves us unconditionally, restores us fully, etc. Right? So this is all proving, all of this. Romans 8, 38 to 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to read this from the message translation. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in scripture. None of this faces us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing, can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. So when you pray, our Father, who art in heaven, pause and be humbled by the wonder of God's genuine unfailing love and compassion for you. See, the Bible tells us we are adopted into his family. And if he adopted us, that means he chose us. So if he adopted you, which the Bible says he does, that means he chose you. He chose you, Pat. God chose you to be in his family. He chose every single one of us. And anyone who adopts will tell you there is always an adoption fee. You know, God paid the highest price. He paid 
the most extravagant adoption fee possible for you. So when we say, our Father in heaven, it reminds us that our prayers are not transactional, but relational. We don't just come with our list of worries and wishes and wants. We come to our Father in relationship who loves us. Girls, thank you. When you pray, do you really believe that your Father loves you no matter what you've done? Or said? Or thought? Or watched? Right? Do you really believe that he looks out for you even when you feel far from him? Do you really believe that he accepts you into his family no matter what you've done ever? You might think, oh, yeah, but. There are no yeah, buts with God. Do you believe that he forgives you immediately and loves you unconditionally? So I think today it's time for us to get a revelation of how God sees us. When we come to him in prayer, it's really more like a child climbing up onto his father's lap. Those of you who are dads, or mums, or granddads, and grandmas, when a child climbs up into your lap, that's really what it's like when we come to God in prayer, or like a child running into his father's arms. So with that in mind, I just found a video. That's okay. I just want us to watch with that in mind. Have a look.
that when we say our Father, come running into his arms, just like those kids running into their dad's arms. And their dad, you know, he was running into their arms. And that's the picture of when we come to our Father. So I'm going to ask the band to come up. And I think this morning it's time for us to come running back into our Father's arms and realise, just let him embrace us and fill us with his love for us. Father, I pray that you help us to get a revelation. And that's just human love. And your love is just uh, infinite. Anyway, I'm not going to talk anymore. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, just come and reveal to each and every one of us how, how you love us, just like that parable that Jesus taught. And the Father ran, ran and fell on his son's neck. And that's what... Father God does, the minute we turn toward home, the minute we turn toward him, the minute we take one step toward him, he runs and falls on us in a loving embrace. Holy Spirit, reveal to every one of us this morning your love in Jesus' name.